Appreciate that. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. While we're turning, um, guess there are no commissions on, on Connect cards. That was Matt on his best behavior. I know you as his family understand. Um, but he's growing. He is growing. We've, we've all seen growth. So we're excited about that. So uh, guests, we're just glad you're here with us. If you want information from the church uh, to know what's happening and, and the different events we're having, um, take that Connect card out to the Welcome Center. We have a gift for you. So Ephesians chapter 4. And today we're going to be going through verses 17 the whole way through the end of the chapter. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for joy and laughter. We thank you for Catherine and Alana getting baptized. And uh, we just thank you for all the things that you're doing um, in this church, in this community, through all the local churches that are preaching the gospel, through all the campus ministries that are proclaiming your name. And uh, we just thank you that your, your kingdom is growing in Indiana County. And we give you praise for that. And ask for your help as I preach your word today. Amen. Well, the, t- the title of today's message is Walk in the New Life That You Have Received. Walk in the New Life That You Have Received. We've been going through the book of Ephesians. First half of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul describes um, in great detail the, just the, the amazing grace of God um, that, that we experience in salvation. And now, in chapters 4 and following, he's connecting that amazing grace of God to how it should change us as individual Christians. We should be different. So we just got to witness a baptism. We got to hear um, Dave explain what baptism is through um, Romans chapter 6. And now I want to connect some things in your mind. So baptism is this picture of being um, brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, being spiritually blind and being given spiritual sight. And so it's a, it's, it's a picture of a miracle. Well, part of that miracle of salvation is that we change, that God grows us, that we are different as the days and months and years go by. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to underscore today in Ephesians. He wants us to really understand that if we profess faith in Jesus and we've truly been saved by Jesus, then we should be different. Not perfect, but we'll be growing, we'll be changing, we'll be transformed over time into his image. So look, um, well, first listen to this verse. It'll be up behind us. Romans 6, verse 4. This is connecting what, what Dave just talked about. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. That's talking about our union with Christ. We were immersed with Jesus in his death and order, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Part of this union with Jesus is we can be different. We can be changed. If you're, if you're uh, prone to anger, you can be changed. If you're prone to worry, you can be changed. If you're gripped by fear, you can be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's possible because of Jesus' resurrection. Now the Apostle Paul actually begins the section we're looking at 
in chapter 4, verse 1, and then he picks up the same idea in verse 17. So let's start chapter 4, verse 1, and then we're going to jump to 17. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He urges the Christians in Ephesus and beyond to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling they've received, the calling to salvation, the new life that they have received in Jesus. He's going to continue to start in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must, you must, he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The big idea in this whole section we're going to see, he's going to give us details of, of what's that life going to look like. He's going to explain how we should act in certain ways and how we shouldn't act in other ways. But the big idea could basically be said that when you have a relationship with Jesus, we should be different. We should live differently because we are united to the risen King. And that risen king gives us spiritual life and we should be transformed. So we shouldn't go back to our old impulses or old ways. So we've got three basic points from this passage. First one is this. We must live differently from our natural condition. We must, must live differently from our natural sinful condition that all humanity has inherited. He says this, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So he's writing to people that were Gentiles, that they really are Gentiles. They're non-Jewish people. And he's saying, don't live like you once were. And these Gentiles that, that encountered the Lord, these non-Jewish people, which is pretty much all of us here who have put our trust in Jesus, he, he's saying, don't, don't live like you once did. Don't live like those who don't know Jesus around you. See, Having a relationship with Jesus should transform our, our thought life, our speech life, and our actions. What we do and what we don't do. And he's writing to people that lived among many, many non-Christians who were living, acting, speaking, and thinking in ways that did not please the Lord. He's not telling them to leave those people He's telling them to be different among those people. And he's telling us to do the same thing. So whether it's in your workplace, your extended family, your neighborhood, when you're out and about just doing basic life stuff, live in such a way that it points that to Jesus, that this person has encountered Jesus. And they're different. They're very different than they used to be. See, by nature, 
He, he wants to remind them, Here, here's what you were before you met Jesus. By nature, all humanity is spiritually darkened in their understanding of God. They can't, they can't see God. I couldn't see God before I became a Christian. Couldn't, couldn't see who he was. I didn't understand his ways. That's our natural condition. By nature, all humanity is alienated from the life of God because of their, their ignorance of God. So we're, we don't have a relationship with God by nature. We're, we're separated from Him. And we have wrong thoughts about who He is and what He's like. By nature, all humanity is callous and progresses in sinful passions and desires, gets further and further enslaved into your passions and desires. All of us, by nature, fit those descriptions. Now, there can be a range of how far into those descriptions we went, but we all fit those descriptions. Which is why he's reminding them, now I say this to you, verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. See, our behavior as Christians starts in, 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 in our mind, in, in what we think about God, what we think about what He says. And also um, begins in our heart, which is the, the kind of the central decision-making process of our lives as Christians. Our hearts have been made new. And so with that newness of life, we should be different. We should be growing. We shouldn't be like everyone else who doesn't know Jesus and just like jumping into the stream of our culture and just, just getting taken way downstream and swallowed up and chewed up and, and spit out. We're to be different. You should be able to stand in the middle of the stream of culture that opposes God and actually make steps forward in boldness for the Lord with humility, with gentleness, with kindness. I became a Christian when I was 19 years old at IUP. So I wasn't a Christian in high school. When I was in high school, my graduating class each year was about 300 people. After I became a Christian at the age of 19, I met Jesus here, so my Christian community was here. My Christian friends were here. My church was here. I, I was very, very, very nervous about going home for the summer. And I remember from being in high school, out of, let's say, 1,200 people, I knew three people came to mind immediately who were, who were definitely Christians. Um, two guys named Matt, Matt Ture, Matt Rogen, and Carol Sealing. So two guys and a girl. And they walked with the Lord. They were bold about Jesus. So when I became a Christian, I knew I had to go home to York, Pennsylvania for the summer. I called all three of them because I didn't know how to follow Jesus um, as a baby Christian without any Christians to, to help me and encourage me. And all three were instrumental for the first couple years of my Christian life to help me get my feet under me and understand the Bible and understand what it means to, to follow Jesus. Well, why did I call them in the first place? Matt Ture, Matt Rogen, Carol Sealing, because they lived differently 
than the entire high school I was in. There might have been a few other Christians, but I knew lots of people, and I only knew three I could think of that knew Jesus. Now, there are probably more, but there were three bold ones that lived very differently. See, you can be that. So if you are in elementary school, you are in middle school, you are in high school, you're at IUP or another university, by the way you live, you bring honor to the Lord and you can really influence many, many people. Now, if you trust in Jesus, but you look nothing, you don't look at all different from someone who rejects Jesus, that's, that's confusing to people. That's confusing to Christians. That's confusing to non-Christians. But if you are living in such a way that brings honor to the Lord because you've been saved by Him and you've actually experienced this new life, oh, what an impact you can have for Jesus. And this isn't just true for, for elementary students and middle school students and high school students. This is true of all of us. In whatever workplace you are in, in whatever neighborhood you are in, whatever extended family reunion or family celebration you're going to be in at Thanksgiving and at Christmas time, the ones that you might even dread, you have an op- Just be honest. Sometimes we, you dread them, right? Sometimes you love them. Sometimes you dread them. Depends, depends on the situation, right? It gets complicated. But you can live differently by the power of of the Holy Spirit that's at work in you. See, the Apostle Paul, he wants the Ephesians to know, he wants us to know what really happened when you met Jesus, which brings us to the second point. We have been made new in Jesus. Look at verses 20 to 24. So he's contrasting the the Gentiles who don't know the Lord to, to followers of Jesus. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth in Jesus. So you became a disciple. A disciple is a student of Jesus. You learned about Him. You learned about what He has done. You learned that His death on the cross covered and paid for every one of your sins. You learned that He rose from the grave and that gives you new life. You learn that He tells us as His followers how to live, what to do, what to not do. And the Holy Spirit gives us power to actually do those things. So He says, here's some of the things He says. To put, verse 22, to put off your old self. That's, that's that, that, that sinful, those sinful impulses that, that remain. You don't have to give in to those. As a new, born-again creation, you do not have to give in to those. No matter how strong, how powerful they feel, the risen Christ has made it possible for you to walk in newness of life. You can put it to death. Uh, the old self that, that rears its head. Um, put, to, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now You may have those spring up, but you don't have to feed them. You don't have to give in to them any longer. And then, he says on the positive side, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Christ teaches us to put on the new self. 
and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're to put off our old self, whatever those desires are, whatever those passions are that, that don't please the Lord. We, we want to put them to death. And then we're to feed the new life that God has made possible for us. When you were born again, as Paul said in Ephesians 2, you were made alive. That life was the very life of God put inside of you. There's nothing more powerful. It's way more powerful than any, any sinful temptation or desire. And what's interesting about this section of Ephesians 4 is, is the Apostle Paul wants believers to understand this stuff in their mind. That oftentimes the battle is won or lost in our mind. So if you, if you believe, oh, I, I can never change. I'm always going to be angry. I'm always going to want to gossip and talk about people. I'm always going to be a worrier. My mom was a worrier. My grandmother was a worrier. Her mom was a worrier. Well, guess what? Jesus is going to interrupt that. So you don't have to be a worrier. Your son or daughter doesn't have to be a worrier. Your great, 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 great granddaughter may be this bold missionary for Jesus. All because you, you've been made different. You've changed because you've encountered Jesus. This is a real encounter that is meant to change us. So Christ teaches us to put off our old self and keep it off. When it, when it wants to kind of latch a hold again. No, that's, that's no longer me. That part of me was crucified with Christ. Now I've been made alive. I've been made different. Christ teaches us to renew our minds. If you're trying to, to, to put away and push off the old you, but you never open this book, and you never pray to the, the one, really the only one that can help you, then it's like being in a fight and you go into the fight with your, you just tie up my hands, tie up my feet and put a blindfold on me and I, I'm going to fight you. And so you're, you're moving around and maybe if you're really strong and you're really quick, you can maybe do something or you can endure some punches, but you're never going to win. See, when we open this book day after day, it, it makes us stronger. Spiritually, it, it feeds us. It renews our mind. It gives us warnings. It gives us encouragement. It helps us to, to have a bigger and bigger and bigger view of our God, which gives you faith to run this race that we're called to run. I am so glad that when I first became a Christian, someone shared this, these two Bible verses with me. These two Bible verses spared me of a lot of sin and heart struggle. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, Christ teaches us to renew our minds and we have the Bible. We have 66 books all made into one that help us, no matter what the struggle is, to fight and to no longer give in to those old impulses. It's like a sword. We're going to wield it. We're going to see that in Ephesians 6. That, that we don't have to, to lose this battle over and over and over again. One of the most discouraging things as a Christian is to be all trapped up in sin. And as Marcy shared this morning, one of the, the freeing things is you confess that. Jesus, forgive me. And with that, that, that grip will, will loosen. And you'll be able to make progress where you couldn't make progress before. And the joy of your salvation will return. And there will be renewed energy and fight to, to, to put off the old you and pursue what Christ wants to make in you over and over again. See, Christ teaches us to put on the new self. So then in the last part of this chapter, he's going to get even more specific and more personal. He's going to get into areas, very specific areas of our life that he has in mind that are really important for followers of Jesus to get straightened out. Which brings us to the third point. This one may hurt a little bit more. We'll see. We should reflect our relationship with Jesus through our speech and through our actions. We should reflect our relationship with Jesus through our speech and our actions. So he's going to tell us to put off some things. The reason I knew that Matt Rogen, Matt Ture, and Carol Sealing were Christians is because in a positive way in their speech and their actions consistently over a long period of time, it was obvious. Now, if, if they were liars and did all kinds of wicked things in high school... I wouldn't have gone to them. I wouldn't have thought, hey, they're followers of Jesus. But they were different. So we want to be different too. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We should speak the truth to one another. We should be honest. We should be trustworthy. Maybe you were like me that I was just like a natural born liar. Prior to meeting Jesus, it, it was like, if there's a negative spiritual gift, I, I had it. And I had it at a young age, and I was really quick with it. Um, and then I met Jesus, and he said, no, that, that's over. It's totally over. And then the problem, if you, if you lie, if you are an habitual liar, what happens is your life is miserable because then you're trying to keep up with all your, your lies. And it is a miserable way to live so when jesus set me free he, he really set me free i didn't have to scam and lie beautifully freeing and the best part of that as a follower of jesus is you go to bed with a clear conscience you're not thinking about oh no i gotta say this because i said this now i gotta do this and and it's just a miserable way to live jesus sets us free so we should speak the truth to one another be honest 
We should not give into or feed sinful anger and bitterness. Verses 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And you could be like, what did he say? Did he say, be angry and do not sin? That's what he said. So it's possible you get this situation where there's, a, there's, there's something that is tempting you to be angry. Maybe it's legit. Maybe it's a real injustice. But they, it could morph into something sinful. Maybe it's just somebody cut in front of you while you're driving. You're just, you're just ready, to, ready to fight. Well, you can quickly turn from that. Lord, forgive me. Lord, calm me down. Lord, help me to see this rightly. Convict me, Lord, so that it doesn't grow into something bigger. And that's, that's the idea of, of don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because if you are stewing and thinking and meditating on whatever is, has tempted you to be angry, that, that anger will, will rage. It will, it, will, it will grow. And then it, it will it'll morph. And when it morphs, it, it usually turns into bitterness. And when, then, it, then it turns into resentment. And then your heart is hardened. Your heart that Jesus made soft is starting to get crusty again, starting to get hard again. And you need Jesus to tenderize it over and over again. Well, as a new creation in Christ, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go down that road anymore. Next one. We should not seek to gain money in in dishonest ways. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Some of you, by nature, have sticky fingers. You steal stuff. Maybe it's little stuff. Maybe it's really big stuff. As a follower of Jesus, He doesn't want you to do that. He's your provider. He will provide. And His normal means of provision is doing honest work. Whatever you are able to do. And He will provide and He will care. So one way to think about stealing is it's definitely connected to the sin of coveting. So wanting something that's not ours. It's also bypassing God as your father and provider because you're taking matters into your own hands. So if you've done that, whether you've done it in the old-fashioned just swipe something or in the more um, technical age of just, not just, but being dishonest with taxes or being dishonest with income or being dishonest with how you're gaining money, own it, repent of it, and experience fresh cleansing from the Lord. And with that will come joy and freedom. Next one. We should not swear, be mean, slander others, or seek to destroy others with our speech. Listen to this, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I mean, this is like such an absolute statement. Let no, none, corrupting talk, 
come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The idea of this word corrupting in the passage is, is the word that was used to describe rotten fruit or a rotten dead tree. So you, you think of a, a, a bushel of rotten apples. That's the corruption. And the idea here that the Apostle Paul has is it, it would, it's this umbrella statement that would include dishonest, unkind, or vulgar speech. Think about this. God himself came to earth. His name is Jesus. While he lived on earth, fully God, fully man, all the things we're talking about, he did perfectly. No corrupt speech came out of his mouth. No lies, no dishonesty, no cheating, no stealing. All those things so that he could be our perfect substitute and pay for all those sins that we may commit. And then he rose to set us free from those things. And so as his disciples, he wants us to be like him in all of these things. Thought, word, and deed. I'm going to sound like an old guy here, but I I know um, for whatever reason there's a, a generation of Christians that think it's fine to just have corrupt things come out of your mouth all the time. It doesn't match with the Bible. It doesn't match with what Jesus has done for you. The standard is perfection. Jesus alone met it, but he calls us to it. He keeps raising the bar as his followers. And the more we we follow by his grace and by his power, I think the more impactful we're going to be as Christians. Listen to this. So Proverbs 8.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. See, speech is this powerful thing. If someone encourages you, it has this really encouraging effect. If someone puts you down and is mean to you and says really mean things to you, Oh, it hurts so much more than if they would just slap you upside the face. It it does. It stings. It sticks. It doesn't go away. That's why James, in the book of James, compared speech. He uses these great analogies. He he compared speech to a, a rudder of a large ship that this little rudder can steer this massive ship. Or he compared it to uh, setting a, a forest ablaze by a little spark. The tongue is powerful. And so we, we, as followers of Jesus, who claim that Jesus is our Lord and King, our, our speech that comes out of our heart needs to be transformed. And when it does, it can be very powerful for good. We should not grieve the Holy Spirit by our thoughts, words, or actions. Look at verses 30 and 31. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. As a believer, God lives inside of you. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. 
along with all malice. Now, at times, it's very possible you've been sinned against greatly, maybe repeatedly, and with that has come anger and bitterness. And, and that, can, that can take time to work through. But you will be so much freer if you can work through it. Lord, I'm, I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm having trouble forgiving this person. You have forgiven me. Would you please help me to forgive them? And as you do work before the Lord with the Lord, He will, he will bring freedom. He will set you free. Look at verse 32 as he closes this chapter. He says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave forgave you. That's your motivation to forgive others. Jesus has forgiven you. God the Father in His Son has forgiven you. And we're to forgive others. That's different than trusting them. Trusting takes lots of years at times. Lots of rebuilding. But forgiveness can happen now. It can happen today. Lord, help me in my heart to forgive this person. And it it will take time. It it will come up again. Lord, you've forgiven me. Help me to forgive them. But it can be a massive step in discipleship and following Jesus, forgiving others. It was a massive step for both my sister and I to, to follow Jesus and be forgiving with a particular family member. And it was complicated And it was challenging. But we were both set free. And that was a wonderful mercy and gift from the Lord. So as we're closing, as you're thinking about this, are there people you need to forgive? Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a grown child. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a friend that you feel like just totally deserted you at your time of need, your hour of need, and it, it punched you in the gut. It, it, it shocked you. They left. They forgot about you. Maybe, for those of you who are in school, it's just a relentless, mean kid at school who is, is just mean. And you are getting angry and bitter towards them. As we, we sing this final song, I, wa- I want you to Talk to the Lord about those things. Confess those things to the Lord. And after church today, we'll have a prayer team up here. If you want prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you. But connect all these things to being a disciple of Jesus, following Him. See, He he made you new. He saved you as a free gift. He put His Spirit inside of you, and now He calls you to be different, to change, to grow, so that He can receive more honor and more glory. So let's all stand. I'm going to pray and have, let's have the band come up. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you, Holy Spirit, like to probe our hearts and minds because you love us and you, you don't want us to stay where we are. 
You want us to be different. You want us to be changed. You want us to be free. Lord, I I pray that your freedom would just spread throughout uh, this room this morning. And, And for those watching online, that they would encounter you right now. Lord, we want to bring you honor and glory. We don't want to give in to our old impulses. And we want to be growing in the the new man or woman, boy or girl, teenager that you have called us to be. And we will give you all the glory. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.